Welcome to the ESG Matters podcast. My name is Amat Gomist, and I'm your host today. We have Trenton Allen, Managing Director and CEO of Sustainable Capital Advisors. Sustainable Capital Advisors is a strategy consulting and financial advisory firm focused on delivering innovative capital solutions for the sustainable infrastructure sector. Thank you for joining today, Trenton. Thank you. Thank you for um, having me here. Great. Uh, could you first sort of explain what is sustainable infrastructure? Sure. And a pleasure, pleasure being here. So when we think about sustainable infrastructure, what we mean by that term is really refers to sort of equipment and systems that are designed to meet essential services um, that are done in a sustainable way, in a way that uses the least amount of resources um, on the planet, but also provides for utilize doing this in a much more efficient way. And so, by example, this, you know, sort of sustainable infrastructure can sometimes be brought down to sort of five categories. The first is energy. So that might be renewable energy, including solar and wind and hydropower. It also is water, sort of thinking through sort of how do we utilize clean water and provide water uh, necessary to people across the globe, clean drinking water. We think also, we think about agriculture in a way uh, that can be not only regenerative agriculture, but also looking for ways to restore balance to the earth and to the soil such that we can be able to grow crops um, in a much more sustainable and diverse way. Also, that relates to transportation, how we transport uh, from one place to another, whether that is electric vehicles or whether that's micro-mobility bikes, uh, whether there's other types of ways that we are getting from one place to another. And then lastly, we think about that as far as like our built environment. So that is encompasses energy efficiency. How do we use building smarter, reduced amount of energy that's being utilized in a particular building, whether it's through lighting, heating control uh, uh, controls, there might be upgrades to heat pumps or heating and cooling. All these things come together to really sort of form sustainable infrastructure and think about it as sort of the world that we live in. How do we uh, create the opportunities for it to be in a much more efficient, sustainable way that uses the least amount of resources that are harmful to our environment? Well, thank you for that explanation. That was really helpful. I think a lot of people, sometimes they hear sustainable infrastructure, they don't really understand the largesse of it and how much it encompasses and how we as citizens in the U.S. and across the globe interact with sustainable infrastructure or infrastructure that could be more sustainable in its nature. And I really do appreciate that, that understanding that you provided. So then what led you to start a Sustainable Capital Advisors and how, how did you get introduced to this space? That's a, a great question. And I, I would like to say, I would love to say that I had this idea that I wanted to do this. But um, as happens with many people in their careers, you sort of make decisions and then you look back and you sort of, there's this windy path that you take. And so I started my career at a firm in Philadelphia uh, called Public Financial Management. I started there. They're the largest advisor for state and local governments across the United States. And I started there right out of undergrad from uh, from college. I graduated from Harvard uh, University. And I received a degree in chemistry. And I was looking not to go back to back home. So I took a job in finance. Um, never uh, studied finance or economics at school. And they offered their, their selling card to me was we will train you for three months in the world of finance. And I said, that's great because I need all the help I can get. And so I started there and started in their energy or their their 
Utilities Group. And really became interested in the how to think through sort of the problems or challenges that utilities were facing. This was the late, late 90s, so there was a big push around the country on deregulation. So we were doing a lot of work and thinking through of how utilities need to be organized and thinking through sort of what are the first stages of how, how utilities will respond to energy needs uh, going forward. And so from there, I was interested in utilities and, and, and infrastructure, then went to Citigroup to do a lot of that same type of work. And it was there when I really started to be introduced to renewable energy, clean energy. And part of it was out of, there was a growing sense of that there would be more of these types of projects existed. Some of our utility clients were thinking through of maybe we want to create a wind farm to um, generate electricity. But also part of it was a response to sort of you seeing sort of on the ground with some of our clients where they were no longer able to think about sort of siting and financing large scale uh, fossil fuel projects. And so as you start to think through sort of how do we identify the types of energy uh, electricity needs across the country, then it clearly you start to think through sort of what are, how do you integrate renewables into that, but also energy efficiency and other types of uh, distributed types of energies. And so that's where I started to get into this particular space. I wouldn't say there was like a, a, a vision, but it's sort of every step started to think through sort of what does the future look like and, and sort of think about sort of how do you orient yourself as a young person in your career, think through where the trend's going, how, uh, what does the world look like and how can I take, become part of it? And so that's sort of the trajectory of sort of my career. And over that time, got a chance at that time when I was at Citigroup to work with a, you know, a number of uh, first rate people um, who were in this space, all working to figure out how you can utilize finance in a way to expand um, sort of sustainable infrastructure opportunities, but also think about sort of its impact related to climate. And as we were starting to get our minds and arms around it, you know, recognize that one of the places, the things that I enjoyed doing was really on the on sort of thinking through challenges for clients for the front end work. And so that led me to really start Sustainable Capital Advisors, where we can sort of bring sort of the expertise that we develop, that I developed and others on our team in the project finance space and in clean energy space and municipal infrastructure or public private partnership space, but bring it to bear on particular projects or new initiatives or new technologies in a way that sometimes they may not have had access to that particular types of advice. So that's sort of how I got to sort of where we are and really excited that at Sustainable Capital Advisors, we've been able to do this for the last 10 years. We've grown and um, expanded our team as, as we've gone. And one of the things I'm most proud of, we've had almost 100 interns and fellows over the, over the last 10 years who've come in through our doors and learned finance and learned what we do and serve our clients and really sort of been able to be a springboard for them as they think about their particular careers. So really enjoy the work that we do and really the clients that we've made the clients that we serve and the work that we do. And I think it's really important for people to understand that, especially in a career dealing with anything related to sustainability, oftentimes there isn't a straight path. You have to make your path and really think about the things that you're interested in, leverage whatever your core competencies tend to be, and then get into the space that way, because then you're providing some real value as opposed to not necessarily understanding anything and trying to figure things out while you're in the space. And I think a lot of times what I'm hearing is that people like yourself, Trenton, who have had a career before getting into this oftentimes bring 
a lot of value for the field and also for their specific opportunity that they are able to see and to leverage because they have that experience. So I think that's really important. And I really do like the fact that you talked about, you took advantage of what people were trying to understand this trend at Citigroup when it came to uh, financing renewable energy and sustainable products, projects rather. So I think that's really important for people to understand that component and also to make sure that they would think about their own career, that they don't think of it as just a linear path, but take advantage of opportunities when they arise and learn as much as you can and uh, try to provide value whenever possible. No, I think, I think that's perfectly, perfectly stated. Um, a career is not a straight line. Um, it is a windy path. And, you know, I, I like to, you know, when, when I speak with young folks and particularly part of life and particular career is collection is, is you have a big toolbox and you're trying to basically assemble as many tools as you possibly can. And sometimes in life, you don't really know when you're going to use them, but I've been in this long enough to know that you will use them all at some point in time. Um, but trying to find the right places where you can grow and expand and and have the opportunities to really develop into your point of having a sort of a something that you can sort of a core competency for me it was financial modeling. You know, I, that was something that I was able to do every step of my career and know that whenever there was something that came down, I could understand the intricacies of a financial transaction and model uh, it out and understand sort of what that looks like and how it came to be. And that gives you confidence when you work within new technologies. So if we are now working with a biomass project, I can recall back sort of the understanding of how we financed a solar project or a toll road uh, and utilize that, that that knowledge that we had from other experiences and bring that to bear within actual new truck transactions and new technologies. And I think that's in some respects sort of what many of us in this sustainable infrastructure space have done is been able to take experiences that we've had in the broader finance, whether it be project finance or even corporate finance, and apply it to this new space where we're thinking about different technologies. But in some respects, many of the underlying finance related issues are many of the are, are quite the same. And that's what we try to tell our clients and work that we do is that this finance, the, the underlying fundamentals of finance haven't changed whether we've gone from sustainable infrastructure, renewable energy to traditional energy utility or infrastructure. We're now thinking about sort of how we apply those uh, across. And so that to me, I think is one of the areas that, you know, sort of as I've developed in my career and as this industry has developed, we've been, been able to tap into the experiences of people, um, a variety of, of experiences. And I think that helps build a knowledge base that yeah. allows us to deploy and actually provide capital and think of new financial structures. And some of them really aren't new. We're just applying techniques that existed in other parts of the world of finance, but applying them to clean energy, sustainable infrastructure. And that's what I think will allow us to be able to grow and really meet sort of the targets that we need to, to really mobilize the trillions of dollars that we need to over a fairly quick period of time to really sort of meet the, the needs or the challenge of climate change. And when you talk about the trillions of dollars that are needed to needed to be mobilized to fight to fight climate change, and you talk about the underlying fundamentals of finance really haven't not changing, but this being a new sort of product or market rather, how are you seeing these new sustainable infrastructures programs and projects being financed? So, so it's a very very good question, and, and I would say that you know they're they're being financed sort of in a couple of different ways. One, there is just 
the traditional traditional project finance market. And those are really, uh, you know, sort of, sort of projects where benefits of the output of the electricity plant or electricity um, installation or the, or the production of the commodity is basically paid for by another party and you enter into either short-term or long-term contracts to pay for that. Right. So there's a market that exists, right? Whether it is in electricity or whether it's in water or whether it's in any number of different technologies that, that exist and that we call upon to finance this. And this is a combination of commercial entities. These are private equity organizations, entities that are or other types of funds or energy funds or infrastructure funds that have been created to do this. And those are being done at sort of large scales, right? So these are hundreds of millions of dollars of projects, right? So these are what we call utility scale solar. These are utility scale wind. And so these are really, really large infrastructure projects that are being executed, I would say, with many of the same type of finance partners that funded other types of infrastructure or energy related projects, right? So that, that market sort of exists. We've now just swapped out technology and partners, and now we have different, you have many of some, some of the same players who are now in this particular space. The other piece of this is that when we think about sustainable infrastructure, um, particularly, it, it also is, it is not just sort of the large scale utility projects. It also encompasses, you know, anything from residential solar on a homeowner's home, right? On a roof. It encompasses potentially a build out of electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And so what we're talking about is anywhere between sort of hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars worth of infrastructure all the way down to something that might be less than $10,000, right? And so there's different parts of the finance space that is working to fix that or to address those. And so, you know, sort of in the smaller scale projects, what we've seen is in stepping in of some commercial banking entities, uh, what we're seeing uh, sort of organizations have done previously consumer type financing, um, who are participating with solar installers to basically provide the backstop and warehousing for uh, solar finance. Uh, same thing for energy efficiency or improvements in, in energy homes there. You also have other types of technologies related to commercial pace, property assessed clean energy, where you're now looking at sort of a traditional sort of securitization of a large pool of sort of commercial real estate energy improvements that are basically securitized in a way that allows them to have access to parts of the marketplace. So you're seeing sort of this varied approach, but fundamentally what we are seeing is that we're able to create different types of securities or different types of structures for the vast part of the marketplace. The challenge, I would say, is still primarily in the smaller projects. And then also, I would say, also in projects that are um, really benefiting are really being directed towards frontline communities. That's where we see some of the challenges at. And so we see sort of the really the growth of green banks, um, sort of green, green financing entities across the country modeled off of a Delaware sustainable energy utility, which I had the pleasure of working with years ago, uh, Connecticut Green Bank, uh, New York Green Bank. There's other types of Michigan Saves, Maryland Clean Energy Center. New entities, Texas Clean Energy Fund. There's new entities across the country that are really nonprofit, but they're standing in the gaps to really provide capital in a way that allows for the deployment and development of clean energy projects, uh, sustainable infrastructure projects that are really trying to benefit at the local and community level. And so that's where there is really still this gap of capital 
And these are smaller project sizes, smaller ticket items. And so they're harder to attract capital. And so these entities are stepping in and really providing sort of unique and uh, financing programs to really sort of get at sort of the, the size challenge, but also what may be seen as a, a risk or other a risk perception of risk related to the underlying um, projects and counterparties. And so we see sort of this ecosystem building up and, and gaps being, being formed to really sort of get at sort of how do we finance all of sustainable infrastructure, not just utility scale, which is important, but also some of the things that are happening at the distributed level, particularly as it relates to communities and those who may not have participated or may have been left behind with regards to sort of being able to participate in a clean energy transition. Well, that's really informative. And I just want to make sure I understand when you talk about frontline communities, can you just explain what is that? What does that mean? Yeah, so it is a term that really, in, in its essence, is thinking about sort of communities that have been on the front lines and dealing with environmental injustice. So these are communities that have been cited or, or in the path of fossil fuel sort of factories or uh, power plants or have been in red line districts that have been in floodplains. So, so, so those would be like typically like poor, poor neighborhoods and communities that are it's less. Been, it's, been, it's been poor communities. It has been sometimes minority communities based upon sort of how, sort of how um, the real estate industry has in some parts of the country uh, have limited opportunities to sort of buy and, and, and have access to home ownership in different parts of the country. And so what you saw was that, that they're on the front lines of really sort of the environmental impacts. And so these particular communities have borne that particular burden um, and so have been on, uh, have been there at the front lines. And so there is, you know, sort of a, sort of a, an understanding that if we're having, you know, so you may hear a term, a just transition. So if there is a transition that is going to come from a clean energy transition that it needs to be just that one that has to have impacts that are being flowed to communities who have borne the brunt of you know sort of been in you know in the wake of sort of factories and power plants and sort of our use of fossil fuels and those communities have also suffered from increased rates of asthma right so these communities have been suffered from other types of impacts and so we think about sort of how we have this transition now to be intentional about that there should be benefits that flow to them, whether it's not only just economic with regards to can there be jobs? Yes. Can there be economic in a way where there is not only just jobs, but economic benefit to communities? So through if we are putting charging infrastructure or solar, community solar projects, how we think about sort of community benefits and economic development that exists from there, but also thinking through sort of how do we make sure that all communities are have an opportunity to have adoption. So low income doesn't necessarily mean low credit score or low ability to pay. It just means that your margin for error is less. Um, so how do we then make sure that we have projects and policies that allow for low income customers to be our low income neighbors to be able to participate in solar projects? I mean, so, you know, one of the things I would just say from a policy standpoint has been tax credits in solar. Basically, the, benefit, the ability to benefit from a tax credit has been severely challenged for low-income customers because basically you need to have a taxable income to be able to absorb the tax credit from the solar system. Yeah, you have to person can do that much more easily than a lower-income person potentially because they may 
depending on their income, they may not be able to absorb all of it in one year or it needs to go multiple years. And as a result, sort of the present value impact of that into the underlying economics is strained or is different. And so that's a policy issue that directly impacts the ability to have equitable outcomes when it comes to being able to adopt clean energy. And so that's where you sort of see sort of the policy and the finance coming together and some of the work that we do, but also when it comes to sort of how you think through financial uh, solutions to be able to deal with that particular challenge. So you brought up a really good point that I think a lot of people uh, sort of struggle with when they think about sustainable infrastructure, they think about those utility creating wind farms off the coast of off coast of the east coast of the US or they're thinking about wind these massive wind farms in the middle of the country and these massive investments and they and oftentimes people who are interested and want to be engaged whether they are like you said on the front line or if they are folks who may have maybe a more means there seems to be like this dearth of opportunities for them to uh, invest and put their basically put their money where their mouth is, where they're saying that they're interested in creating a more sustainable world. There's not a lot of investment opportunities for them to do so. Are there any funds or investment vehicles that you know of that people can put their money to help fund uh, sustainable infrastructure? Because you know we all understand the value of it. We understand how transformative it can be for communities, for society, the jobs that can be created out of it as well. So how can they participate by financially and by investing in this in a, in a way that can bring about the change they want to see in the world? Um, that is a, a, a great question um, and something that we ourselves struggle to wrestle with, thinking through sort of what are these and where are they? And so a couple of years ago, we had the privilege of working with one of the leading foundations on climate finance uh, across the globe. And one of the questions they asked us, and in turn, we asked ourselves was, if I wanted to know this information, where would I go and find it? And the answer to that was, you know, after days and weeks and months of looking for, there was no simple answer, right? Um, you had to be a full-time finance person in the space to sort of come up with an answer. And so we just uh, decided that when we uh, looked at the sustainable infrastructure financing space, there was no easy place to do it. So what we did basically started a year ago was really to compile a hub or to create an online hub to really answer your question. And so we've uh, that hub is called Ask Sustainable and it will be available later this particular summer. And what it's aimed to do is to provide information on what are the climate-friendly investment products that exist or climate-friendly financial products that exist in the United States to really provide access to information in a systemized way, in a standardized way, so that investors who are interested in thinking sort of how their money, how their capital can be utilized for the benefit of climate can identify products very easily and make the decisions about which products align with their particular values. And so whether it is a checking account, whether it is a uh, savings account, a money market or, or, or a CD, whether it's some of these impact type products, ETFs and mutual funds, and ultimately we'll, we'll get to uh, retirement accounts, having that information available that says, what are these are products that have been identified as climate friendly, and now I can take a look at four to five different products and see sort of how they stack up 
and be able to choose one that best meets my risk return and sort of financial situation. And for us, we hope that this becomes a really valuable tool to the field to answer this particular question, because there are a lot of entities out there who are doing a lot of really good work and, and financial organizations and or creating products. And so we're not here to say which one is better than another, but the platform we have will have the information there that'll be available such that um, investors, whether you have $10 in your pocket all the way up to $10 million in your pocket, can look at the information and better understand sort of how they can participate and where they can think about sort of deploying their particular capital. That's great. I think it's really important to have that ability. And I think when that website comes available, it'll be really well utilized by people because we all struggle with how can you really leverage your resources, in this case, financial resources to make decisions and influence decision makers to do the things that you're interested in and show that there's a value in it. So I think that would be really helpful. So uh, Trenton, I just want to wrap up by saying thank you for being on the ESG Matters podcast. And I thank you for your time and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Martha. It was a pleasure. And uh, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for listening to the ESG Matters podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe to the ESG Matters podcast on your choice of podcast platforms. This podcast is brought to you by Amat Gumis and theme music by Dexter Thomas. Thank you.